So the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, which was a small town 100 miles away from Ephesus in the Roman province of Asia. The Colossian church was a church plant which derived from Paul's three-year ministry at the church in Ephesus. Epaphras may have been the minister of the Colossian church, and although this is not certain, he does appear to have solicited Paul for help and guidance. To truly understand this passage, we must understand the context into which Paul is writing. Paul's words are an apologetic That means he was writing in defense of the gospel and directly opposing a heresy that had emerged. And this heresy was threatening the church and it was threatening the very gospel itself at Colossae. So what was this problem that had arisen that required Paul's intervention? It was a syncretism of ideas. It was a fusion of Greek philosophy Jewish legalism and mysticism. It was a form of Gnosticism that carried harmful ideas. The term Gnostics means intellectual ones, and they were dissatisfied with the Christianity they saw as simple, unintelligible, and unrefined. They wanted to transform Christianity into a philosophy that could be aligned with other popular philosophies of the time. To put it crudely, they wanted to force Christianity into a pagan framework and they wanted to saturate the gospel with pagan ideas. What exactly did they believe? Gnostic belief began with the basic assumption that all spiritual beings were implicitly good. Contrary to this, they reasoned that all material matter was inherently evil, but possessed eternal properties. We're going to get technical this morning, so we, we're, I'm sorry about that, but we're going to have to switch on the brain. The Gnostics concluded that creation itself originated from evil matter. They believed that because God was spirit and good, and the world was physical and bad, there was no possibility whatsoever that God was the agent of creation and as we saw in the video Genesis tells us that God created the world the Gnostics believed there was a huge chasm of distance between God and the created world they actually believed the world was created by emanations or semi-divine beings that were ignorant and hostile to God. As we saw from the video, Gnostic beliefs worked against Christian orthodoxy, the belief that God created out of nothing and that God had called all that he had made good. The God of Gnosticism wanted nothing, nothing whatsoever to do with the material world nothing to do with creation. So what was the Gnostic response to the person Jesus? Gnostic doctrine completely denied the authentic humanity of Jesus. In their own writings, they said of Jesus 
that he left no footprints in the ground when he walked. In essence, he was a spiritual phantom in bodily form. But he had no physical human body. Paul's words spoke strongly against any ethereal concepts of Jesus. He insisted that Jesus was reconciling people through his physical body. He was reconciling people through his physical body. Furthermore, the fullness of God dwelt in that body. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus Christ, human. Paul insisted on the flesh and the blood of Jesus. In Gnostic theology, the human was required to find God, to search for God. But this was difficult because the way was barred. There were barriers. This was contrary to the Christian theology because we know, we know that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you were the only person in the world, Christ died for you. And we know that Jesus searches for the one who is lost. The parables tell us again and again. In Gnosticism, special knowledge and special passwords were required to ascend to God. Salvation was through intellectual knowledge. Paul's counter-argument is that salvation is only possible through the forgiveness of sins. According to the Gnostics, the soul needed more than that. The gospel wasn't good enough for them. Paul makes it clear that elaborate knowledge is not necessary. What really matters is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. It gets worse. The elaborate knowledge that was essential for salvation was reserved only for the intellectuals, the academics. Only they had the privilege of access to God. Distinctions were made between the spiritual people, the intellectuals, and the earthly people, the common man and woman. The spiritual people who were the intellectuals were the only ones that could be saved. This system was entirely exclusive. It was not an inclusive religion. Only the elite were eligible for salvation. Salvation was beyond the scope of ordinary people and definitely impossible if you didn't make the academic cut. I'm not liking the sound of Gnosticism. Sorry, I've lost my place. There we go. Paul's presentation of salvation is a completely different narrative to the one presented by the Gnostics. The gospel is for all people. It's for all people, whether they are educated or uneducated, 
whether they are articulate or inarticulate, whether they are rich or poor. There are no restrictions. All are welcome in the kingdom of God. Salvation is through Christ the King and is available to all people, you and me, and all of those on that high street. That's good news. Salvation is possible through Christ to all people, not restricted to only intellectuals. The Apostle Paul began the passage by directly addressing Gnostic theology. The Gnostics taught that Jesus was only a partial revelation of God, and he was one among many intermediaries. The first thing that Paul highlighted was that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. When he used those terms, he was declaring that Jesus is the perfect manifestation of God. And when we look at him, we see what Jesus is like. Jesus perfectly represents God to us in a form which we can see, hear, know, and understand. God is knowable. God is touchable. God is passable. The term passable means that God suffered in the person of Christ. He suffered. God became one of us, flesh and blood. Remember that according to the Gnostics, creation was carried out by an inferior God that was hostile to the one true God. In this passage, Paul confronted that idea by declaring that God's agent in creation is God the Son. He systematically upholds his theology with four points. And they were that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. All things were created by the Son. All things were created for the Son. And in Jesus, all things hold together. Let's think about each of those four things. Firstly, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. This verse might challenge us as Christians or as people who understand. It's important that we understand Paul's terminology here. In English, this terminology implies that the Son was the first person to be created, but we know Jesus was not created. However, in Hebrew and Greek thought, the word firstborn, prototokos is the word, was commonly used as a title of honour. For example, Israel as a nation was also described as the firstborn son of God. What does that mean, the firstborn son of God? The meaning is that Israel was the most favoured child of God, the most favoured nation among nations. That's what it means. And it's also a title attributed to the Messiah, especially in the book of the Psalms. I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted, the king of kings of the earth. This term also carries strong prophetic imagery about the Messiah. When Paul said that Jesus was the firstborn, he meant that he had the highest honour that creation 
could hold for him. Christ is king over creation. Secondly, all things were created by the Son, was Paul's response to the Gnostics, who had created a highly developed system of angels who they saw as intermediaries between human and God. Paul dismisses all the thrones, powers and authorities that the Gnostics gave to those angelic lords. Paul is clear. Jesus was not one among many of those angelic beings. He is high above them, superior to them, and he actually was responsible for creating them. The agent of creation is not an inferior ignorant or hostile God. The agent of creation is the Son of God himself, Christ the King. Thirdly, I hope you're still with me. We're covering a lot today. All things were created for the Son. Jesus is not only the agent of creation through whom all things were created, he is the goal of creation. We are being transformed into his likeness. He is the perfect human. He demonstrated the perfect life, the way we should live. That's our goal, that we become like him. That we love people the way he loves people. That's our goal. The world was created to belong to him and to know and experience his love. Once you've tasted his love, you cannot look back. The world looks different. The world looks ugly. The world looks meaningless when you've tasted the love of Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm desperate for more of him. We respond to Jesus' love in worship. That's why we're here today. We're here to worship God, to encounter Jesus in relationship. It's personal. It's not impersonal. It's not the God of the Gnostics, removed, distant, cold. It's personal. God wants to live with you, live in your heart, transform your life. Show you that you are loved and you're valued. Show you that you have purpose and meaning. He won't abandon you. He is for you. He wants us to know him. We encounter him in worship. And we respond to him by loving others. We respond to him by loving each other. And this brings Christ the King glory. When we love one another, we glorify him and we make him known to the world. A world that is hurting and desperate for him. Fourthly, in Jesus, all things hold together. All things hold together. Not only is Jesus the agent of creation in the beginning, 
and the goal of creation in the end, but he holds together all things bound in time and beyond. What we experience now we call life in time and he's holding it together in his hands Paul illustrated that Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head of the body, head of the church. The church is the body of Christ who shares in his experiences and who are his instruments in ministry to the world. We're his instruments in our ministry to others. Christ is the beginning of the church. As we have commented, the world was created through Christ and the church is the new creation of Christ. Christ is the foundation and the director of the church. And he directs the life and activity of the church. One essential belief of the Christian faith is the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul is demonstrating that Jesus was not merely a hero that lived, impacted the world and died, acquiring admirers in the process. No. Jesus was not a dead hero. He rose again and is alive. And we meet and experience him by his living presence, the Holy Spirit. The resurrection of Jesus demonstrated that he conquered powers of chaos and destruction and nothing in life or in death combined him. He defeated our enemy, our enemy sin and death. They are our enemies and he has defeated them. We are victorious in Christ. We are victorious in Christ. Death will not have the final say. Christ the King, the source and origin of the church, is the constant director of our future as a family together. He is Lord over all creation by virtue of his victorious death. packed in a lot today. We've all heard of the book of Leviticus, haven't we? The priestly book from the Old Testament. Well, Leviticus taught that sins cannot be forgiven without the shedding of blood because sin drains life and takes life. Life is required to pay the debt of sin. Life force is in the blood and that's why blood is significant. Jesus Christ gave divine life in his blood to satisfy the enormous debt of sin that we all owe to God. We can't pay it back. The collective sin of humanity cannot be paid back. Only Christ, God incarnate, can do that. Only he can do that. Only he can forgive and pardon us. 
and make it possible to have relationship with him. We can't do that by ourselves. We need help. And we found it in Christ. We found help in Christ. The Gnostics were wrong about Jesus. They were wrong about God. He wasn't distant. But he came to meet us in Jesus. He was the God who touched, felt, sweat, wept, bled, and died to restore covenant peace between God and the human race. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross for you and for me was the only acceptable sacrifice for the sins of the world. What human king, queen, or ruler could do that? None. No ordinary human could do that. Christ the King went through unimaginable pain and anguish to get you back. He paid that price to make a way for you, to know the love he holds in his heart for you. Never lose your confidence in the love of Christ the King, whose work of reconciliation strengthens us with unshakable loyalty and unconquerable hope. In Christ, we have hope. Let's tell the world. We're coming into land now. Salvation has been made available to us. We don't have to acquire special knowledge or status to receive God. God meets us in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Grasp confidently the hope you have in the gospel. Remember in Jesus you have been brought into relationship with God the Father through the death of his Son. And it happened on the cross. Your sin and shame, my sin and shame, was put on his back on that cross. And now we are free. We are free from guilt. And he's made you holy. He's made me holy. We are set apart. We are made holy. We have a purpose, a holy purpose and a holy life. In Jesus, your salvation is being completed. You lack nothing. Christ, the King of the world, loves you and he holds you in his hands. He holds you in his hands when you feel it and when, and when you don't. He holds you in his hands. And next week, we celebrate the anticipation of his arrival in Advent. There are many things in our society and culture that are seeking to distract us from Jesus. There are things that are trying to replace the place that Jesus has in our hearts. And the three most obvious are money, sex, and power. These things attempt to threaten the gospel. Let's think about Mammon. Mammon, the god of money. Mammon is one of the most powerful gods in our entire world. 
Mammon is worshipped in every country. But Mammon is not king. Only Christ is king. Don't let Mammon get a hold of your heart because Mammon cannot, will not offer you salvation. Mammon is a dead God. Your struggle may not be with money. Maybe it's something else. Something that you've elevated to a godlike status in your heart. Whether you do or don't struggle with the temptation to worship other gods, I want you to remember this. Christ the King will not fail you if you put your trust in him. Amen.